At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. time. My name is Kurt McDonald. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here uh, at the church. And this morning, uh, it's my great privilege to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. I'd like to begin this morning uh, by reading a section of a sermon preached by pastor, author, and theologian John Piper. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with him and his ministry, I highly recommend uh, his sermons and his books. Here's what he says in his sermon entitled, Boasting Only in the Cross. He says this, Three weeks ago, we got word at our church that two of our church members, Ruby Ellison and Laura Edwards, had both been killed in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80, single all of her life. She poured it out for the one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old herself, and joining Ruby's side in Cameroon, where they went village to village, sharing the gospel. As they were driving, their brakes gave way, and over the cliff they went, and they are now both gone, killed instantly. And I ask my people, the people of my church, was this a tragedy? Two lives driven by one great vision, spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus Christ. Was this a tragedy? Two decades almost after all of their American counterparts have retired to throw their lives away on trifles in Florida or New Mexico. No, this is not a tragedy. This is glory. Can you imagine almost two decades after most of their counterparts had retired and are sitting doing whatever it is that they're doing in Florida or New Mexico, these two sisters are still diligently serving the Lord. And so their death is not a tragedy because when they close their eyes for that final time, they open them again to see the glory of King Jesus. And their service was rewarded and the message that they heard was, well done, good and faithful. John Piper goes on to say in this sermon, he says this, I'll tell you what a tragedy is. He says, I'll read to you from Reader's Digest what a tragedy is. The article is entitled, Start Now, Retire Early. It says, Bob and Penny took an early retirement from their jobs in the Northwest five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. And now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler playing softball and collecting shells. This is a tragedy. And people are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it with all my heart. I plead with you, do not buy the so-called American dream, a nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give account of what you did. Here's my shell collection, Lord. Have you seen my boat as he concludes the sermon, he, he exhorts his congregation to not waste their life. Don't waste 
your life. Church family, I hope that that tragedy that that was just outlined there is not true of us. My desire at Gospel Community Church is that we would not be the ones who hang our heads in shame on the last day when we see Jesus Christ face to face, rather that when Jesus returns and we do see him face to face, he does not find us collecting seashells. He doesn't find us making another post on social media just hoping to get more likes, that Jesus doesn't return and find us finishing the 87th season of whatever it is that you're watching on Netflix. Rather, when Jesus returns, that he would find the people of Gospel Community Church as a battle-hardened force fighting for his glory, advancing the cause of the church. Amen? Fighting against our great enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are our great enemies which we are fighting against to advance the kingdom of God. May Jesus return and find us there on the battlefield. May he find us fighting for him and his name and his glory because he is worthy. Amen? He is worthy of that church family. If you do not have scars from ministry, you are not in the battle that Jesus has called you to. If you're following on the Bible app, if you have not been wounded for the cause of Christ, you are likely hiding in a foxhole. If you have not been wounded for the cause of Christ, meaning you have put yourself out there in service to him to fight for his name and for his glory, because he is worthy of that. If you have not been wounded in this battle, it is likely because you are hiding in the foxhole, letting, letting the other soldiers for Christ go out ahead of you and do the work of, of serving and being in and amongst the people of God and serving the local church. You're likely letting someone else do that for you if you have not been wounded in the cause of Christ. I wonder how many of us are comfortable and would be fine if we just got a good job with a good spouse and a couple of good kids and a nice car and long weekends and a few good friends and a fun retirement and a quick and easy death as long as it leads to a, a peaceful afterlife. How many of us are satisfied with nominal church attendance? You know, just when it's convenient. You know, when, when, the, when the kids aren't too crazy, you know, because if they're just, we just we won't even bother. How many of us are satisfied with nominal church attendance? How many of us are satisfied with a nominal devotional life? You know, when you can, if you have time, if you remember, you know, oh gosh, I, I meant to you know, do the devotion, but I, I forgot this morning. How many of us are satisfied with nominal church attendance, nominal devotional life, and very little service to the church and next to no financial sacrifice to see the advance of the gospel as long as we get to feel good by still carrying the name Christian? It's real quiet this morning, but I'm just going to move on. Here's what I want you to know, church family. This is, this is so important for us to know and understand about the world in which we live. And, and as, we, as we navigate the culture in which we find ourselves in, this is what we need to know. Our world is deeply spiritual and at the same time deeply materialistic. So we happily marry consumerism and comfort to God and spirituality. I, I want to talk about this for a second. I, I want us to understand what I'm trying to get at here because it's so important as we navigate the world in which we live. So, so our world is deeply spiritual. Do not buy the myth that some promote that science and rationality is somehow going to come in and slowly snuff out religion. It's by any metric, by any poll that you look at, that's simply not true. It's simply not true at all. Even some of the more recent polls where uh, they're proclaiming there's a rise in the nuns, 
not those in the Catholic Church, but arise in the question that is asked uh, about religious affiliation, and there is a rise in people marking none, no religious affiliation. And so the, the conclusion is, well, religion is dying. But those same people who would mark that they have no religious affiliation, the vast majority still believe in God, still pray, and still consider spirituality a major part of their life. So, so far from science and rationality coming in to crush religion, that's not true at all. As a matter of fact, we're seeing a massive resurgence of, of church attendance, a massive resurgence in, in religion and spirituality all over the entire globe. So we live in a deeply, deeply spiritual world. At the same time, we are constantly making reality TV shows about the rich and famous. Uh, as, you, as you stand in the grocery store aisle, it is lined with these magazines, and all these magazines are talking about people who are rich and famous. And listen, the reason those magazines are there is because people buy them. Right? If the people didn't buy them and weren't interested, they wouldn't be there. They put something else there. But we're making reality TV shows about the rich and famous. All, all of the, you know, the grocery store aisles are lined with these magazines about the, the wealthy and the rich and famous because we are absolutely obsessed with it because we live in a deeply materialistic culture and a very consumeristic culture, meaning we are wanting the latest, the latest gadget, the latest fashion. We are happy to take on a monthly car payment, which is astronomical. We are happy to take on consumer credit card debt because that's what we do. That's who we are as a culture. So we find ourselves in a world that is deeply spiritual and at the same time deeply materialistic. And so it, it is the happily marrying of the two, of, of, of taking materialism and consumerism and God and spirituality and putting those things together. This is the world in which we live. And so why am I saying all this? Why am I telling you this? Because we, church family, are influenced by that culture. We need to be aware of, of that culture out there so that we make sure that it's not infiltrating the church in here. Amen? Amen? So that we're fighting against materialism and consumerism and trying to marry that with God and spirituality because we know exactly what Jesus says. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The result of a culture that is obsessed with materialism and consumerism and spirituality and as that infiltrates the church, the result is many, many Christians are wasting their lives. That's the result. So I need to hurry up to my main point before I blow a gasket here. Um, in James, what we're going to see today in, in verses 9 through 11 uh, it is this big idea. Just look at the end of verse 11. The end of verse 11 says this. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. A rich man fading away in the midst of his pursuits. Is that not the definition of a wasted life? And so here, I'm going to give you the main point essentially in two ways. The first way will be uh, saying it in the negative way. And the second way will be in the positive way. So here's the main idea of the sermon. Uh, if you're following in the Bible app, here it is. The adoption of a consumeristic, comfort-driven value system results in a wasted life. The adoption of a consumeristic, meaning you're the person that has to have the next and newest gadget. 
You're the person that says, hey, everybody else, you know, takes on these astronomical car payments. Everybody else, you know, just swipes the credit card to get the big screen and to go out to dinner multiple times. And this is, this is just what people do. I mean, it's just accepted common practice. You know, this, is, this consumerism is just who we are and what we do. And so I'm just going to get in on that. So to, to accept a consumeristic comfort-driven to where we're not challenged, there is no theology of suffering. There is no value in being challenged. To accept that consumeristic, comfort-driven value system results in a wasted life. I've got bad news for us all. The house that we love will soon be bulldozed to the ground. The fancy car that we're spending all that money on will end up on the scrap heap. Our legacy will soon be forgotten, and all of our trinkets and toys and monuments will be turned to ash in the age to come. Okay, so to say it in a positive way is this, a life with true meaning and purpose is one devoted to the cause of Christ. So if we reject consumerism, if we reject this comfort value system and we adopt a life on the battlefield advancing the church, the, the church that Jesus shed his blood for, if we adopt this lifestyle of I'm going to dedicate myself to a local church to where I will pour my life out for other people, you're going to get wounded. It is a battle. It's a fight. It's a struggle. The, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the, this is our great enemies. But when you do that, you find a life of meaning and purpose. This is what I believe that we will see in our text today. The text is calling us to a single-minded focus that says, all that I have, everything that I am, all for the cause of Christ. Meaning this, my, my family exists for the cause of Christ. My marriage exists for the cause of Christ. I wake up and go to work for the cause of Christ. I leverage my hobbies for the cause of Christ. I serve my local church with my very life for the cause of Christ. That's exactly what this means. Don't waste, don't waste your life. So last week, before we actually started to get into the text, we did two things. Um, we, we did a quick recap of what we've seen, essentially in the opening verses of James. And then we made the connection between the verses. And, and I want to do that again. And the reason is because the connections aren't really all that obvious, are they? I mean, look at verse 2. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. How about the next section, verse 5? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. How about verse 9? Let the lowly brother boast in exaltation. It's like, James, we're, we're kind of having a hard time connecting the dots here, brother, if you could help us out. So, so what we saw is he opens up with this idea of joy in suffering or, or joy in trials. And to be clear, he's not saying that joy is the only emotion that you're allowed to have when you're suffering. Or joy is the only emotion you're allowed to have in trials. But Christians have a unique perspective to where we can suffer knowing that God is going to use that suffering for our good and for his glory. Therefore, we suffer along with other emotions, but we suffer with joy. And then he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. Because believing that God uses all suffering for our good and his glory is difficult to believe. Amen? That, that's, a, that's a thing that all Christians struggle with. And so if you're having difficulty believing that God can use all of the things that you've experienced for your good and for his glory, ask God for wisdom is essentially what he is, he is saying. So wisdom helps us view our trials 
with joy. And so what he's doing in verses 9 through 11, here's the connection, is he's giving us an example of what wisdom looks like in a particular trial. The particular trial of poverty. So if, if God uses all of our suffering, all of our pain, and we can have joy in all of our trials, and if you're struggling to believe that, ask God and he'll give you wisdom. Now let me give you an example of what it looks like to struggle to suffer and how God's wisdom comes to bear on that struggle, on that pain. So he shows us the trial of poverty. Listen. And he shows us the trial of wealth. Wait, wait a second, the, Pastor Kirk, come on. The second one is definitely not a trial. <laughs> I mean, especially, especially if you're the, the poverty guy. You're like, I'm, I'm more than willing to trade. You know, I, I will, I'll take his and he, he, we can trade sufferings. But the Bible has a lot to say about the dangers and the pitfalls of having wealth. And so it's, it's, a, it's an examination of both trials and essentially how God's wisdom comes to bear on that, because it's not just poverty that's a trial, but wealth is a trial as well. As we all know, the great theologian, the notorious B.I.G., once said, mo' money, mo' problems. So as we, <laughs> so as we, look, at, as we look at this today, uh, what, what we're going to see is for both the, the, the person who's experiencing poverty and the person who is walking in wealth, the call for both of them is to essentially boast boast in your exaltation or boast in your humiliation or another way to think about this boasting is rejoicing or to have joy in so we're essentially pointing back to verse two count it all joy because poverty and wealth are essentially trials of various kinds See how it all connects now? Now, now it makes sense. So it, again, these are kind of bullet points in a sermon. I, I've said before, James is, uh, it's, a, it's a sermon in letter form, and we kind of get the bullet points, but, but if we'll just marinate on it for a while, we'll see and, and we'll be able to connect the dots. Let me just summarize the whole thing uh, very quickly, and then, then we'll get into verse 9. Here's the summary of the whole passage. The wisdom of God comes to the poor man in his trial, and reminds him of all that he has in Christ. The wisdom of God comes to the poor man in his trial as he is suffering, as he's struggling with poverty, and reminds him of all that he has in Christ. The wisdom of God then comes to the rich man in his trial and reminds him of his low position as a sinner and the hollowness of his possessions. Okay, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Verse 9. Y'all with me this morning? Okay. Verse 9 says this, let the lowly brother, let's pause right there for a moment, this, this time during the first century, there were essentially two classes of people. You, you had your upper class and lower class. It was, there was a very, very, very small middle class. You had people that owned the land and people that worked the land. Or you had people that lived in the palace or in the center of the city close to the palace. And then you had all of the, uh, the, the merchants and, and all of those uh, other other type craftsmen folk that lived on the uh, in the inner inner cities and so there's essentially two types uh, of classes here and remember the the poverty that this audience is experiencing is because they have been driven out of where they lived because of their faith they've been chased away from I me mean, just imagine if if right now the the doors busted open and people were here to persecute us because of our faith and we literally had to just 
hopefully maybe get in our cars or maybe not, maybe just take off. And so here they find themselves in this other town, in this other place with no homes, no jobs, no, no finances, no, I mean, no nothing. And so they're actually forced to take the lower paying jobs and, and they're just trying to put their lives back together. This is the type of poverty that these people are experiencing. You see, for most of us in the room, we know what it's like to tell our kids no, mostly because we're trying not to spoil them. We, we can afford to buy what it is that they're asking for, but they just don't need 37 of them, right? These people found themselves in a position to where they were having to tell their kids no, not to toys and clothes, and, but they were having to tell their kids no to their daily needs because they could not afford it. This is the type of poverty that they were experiencing. And so the exhortation is this, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. It's such an interesting call to a brother or sister struggling in poverty. The exhortation is not for them to gain wealth or to get rich, to find uh, a, some investment plan in a 401k or to get into real estate. He tells them to boast in their exaltation. And so the, the question then is, in what have they been exalted to that they can boast in? What have these brothers, he's calling them brothers, so these are Christians. What have these brothers been, ex Christian, do you know that you have been exalted? Now, I know that, that we don't go around saying that to each other, you know. Hello, exalted one, how are you this morning? You know, that's, that'd be very odd for you to greet your spouse with in the morning. But, but this, this term of exaltation is being applied to the Christian. And so Christians, we have been exalted, even though that's not really language that we use. Another way to think about it is that Christians, we have been lifted. And so the, the call from James is, hey, lowly brother, brother who is struggling in poverty, that feels like you have no control and no power because that's what money gives you the illusion that you have. I got to preach on that later, but, but the lowly brother feels like he has no position, no power, no authority to do anything at all. And the call from James is see what you have been lifted to. You have been put up in these great heights, these great heights. And so see where your position is now, even though you feel low. Y'all aren't with me this morning. If you're, if you're following in the Bible app, Christians has been lifted out of the path of the wrath of an angry God. We, we are sinners and deserving of the wrath of God. Is God a God of love? He absolutely is. And a loving God, a loving and good and just God cannot allow sin because he is too good and he is too holy. And so the wrath of God was coming for us, yet we have been lifted out of the position of receiving the wrath of God. And the wrath of God has gone on to Jesus Christ on the cross. As a matter of fact, in 1 John 4, 10, it says this, In this is love, not that we loved God, Help me today. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, meaning the wrath that was supposed to come on us has been propitiated over to Jesus Christ on the cross. We've been lifted out of the path of the wrath of God. Or how about this? Christians have been lifted into the care and the provision of a loving God. So out of a place to where we were not in the care and the provision of a loving God, we've been exalted or lifted and put into that position. That's why it says this in Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things 
work together for good for those who were called according to his purpose. So he lifts us into his purposes for us and provides for us and protects us in that place in which we have been lifted to. Or how about this? Christians have been lifted into an inheritance beyond all imaginable wealth. These brothers who are struggling in poverty down here that feel like they have nothing and no power and no authority, Jesus comes along and God the Father comes along and lifts us out of that place and exalts us to a place to where we receive an inheritance beyond all imaginable wealth. James 2.5, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who were poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. Do, do, if you guys really understood, I think if we really understood what that meant, we would be standing in our chairs shouting hallelujah right now to understand that one day when Jesus returns, he is going to make all things new. There will be a new heaven, a new earth, and Jesus will reign and rule over all of creation, and he invites us into rule and reign with him, and we inherit that new heaven and new earth, which is perfect and perfected forever. This is what we've been lifted to. This is what we've been brought up to. I'm not done. I got, I got more. I got more. Christians have been lifted into a position as a citizen of a new realm who will receive imperishable bodies. We've been lifted into a new realm as new citizens, not just citizens of earth, but now citizens of heaven. And we are receiving imperishable bodies, Philippians 3, 20 through 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Meaning these lowly, poverty-stricken brothers, listen, who could not afford proper medical care as their bodies were aging and breaking down and hurting he's reminding them to see where they have been lifted to or exalted to my brothers in poverty look at what you've been exalted to in addition christians have been lifted into the family of god Adopted as sons and daughters, Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Adopted into a brand new family. These people who were likely scattered away from their families. Maybe some other family members were killed for the cause of Christ, persecuted for the cause of Christ. They, they feel like they have no money, no power, no position, no family, no nothing. He says, remember your exalted position as ones who have a new citizenship, as ones who have a new family, as ones who will receive resurrection bodies, as one who will rule and reign with him in the kingdom that is to come. Remember, remember your exalted position. This means that they have a higher position and more true and lasting wealth than the unconverted wealthy person. So the poverty-stricken brother is there feeling lowly, feeling distraught. And James says, hey, you see that unconverted wealthy guy over there? You have more than he does. Way more, unimaginably more, James is saying, if you understand where you are because of the gospel, you will see that you are already rich. And so these lowly brothers could stand and proclaim, though I have nothing, I have everything in Christ. Have everything in Christ. Now, the word to the lowly brother has been said. Now, the gears are shifted and the call is to let the lowly brother 
boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation or let the rich boast in his humiliation because it's assumed from what's coming from verse 9. So let the rich boast in his humiliation. Again, notice that James does not say that the rich should give all of their money away to the poor. Though, uh, likely, James would not be opposed to it if that person felt led by the Lord to do so. But that's not what he says. He doesn't exhort the poor to become uh, worldly or financially rich, nor does he exhort the rich to become worldly or financially poor. That's not what he says. That's not what he says at all. His call to them is for them to boast in their humiliation. What what does that mean? Well, if you're following along in the Bible, that while the poor are called to remember where they have been lifted to, the wealthy are called to remember where they have been lifted from. <laughs> he says, hey, poverty-stricken ones who feel lowly and forgotten and abandoned, no power, no authority, no nothing, look where you're going. Look what God has for you. Look what you've been, look, look, just look at it, is what he's saying. And to those who feel puffed up and proud because they've made it, people respect them. They can, they can go places. They can do things. They can afford to buy their way into things. Those who are puffed up, he says, whoa, whoa, pump the brakes, yo. Look where you came from. Look, look what God lifted you out of. So, so he says to the, to the, poor, the, the poor brother, look where you've been lifted up to. But he says to the rich, look where you've been lifted from. Like, you, so we, this is not in the notes, but I wrote it in mind anyway. It says this, you need to know the darkness of the night in order to appreciate the brightness of the shining day. So, so there are some commentators that, that talk about how James never really gets to the gospel. I'm sorry, they didn't read this passage. They did not read this passage to where he is exhorting these lowly brothers to look where they've been exalted to, yet he's pointing back to where it was we have been lifted from. We Christians, we have to know, we have to understand, we have to talk about sin, we have to talk about the wrath of God, we have to talk about hell, we have to talk about these things. Why? Why do we have to talk about them? Because we have to understand the darkness of the night so we can see the beauty of the light that has come in the day. And so if you're taking notes, Christians were one devoid of righteousness Christians were once devoid of righteousness meaning you had no right standing with God whatsoever that's where you were that's where you had been lifted from from a place to where you had no right standing with God no leg to stand on no good deed to offer nothing that you could say nothing that you could do you were a sinner by nature and by choice and so God could have rightfully cast you and all the rest of us out forever listen to Romans 3 11 None, that's pretty comprehensive, church family. None is righteous. There's probably exceptions, Paul. No, not one. Okay, no exceptions. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. So it's not just that we don't have righteousness in and of ourselves to earn God's favor or his approval. We're not even seeking that. The wrath of God was coming for us, and we're not even worried about it. We don't want to get right with God, is what this is saying. Christians were once devoid of righteousness. That's where we've been lifted out of. In addition, Christians were once unable to inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous 
Because it just told us in Romans that we didn't have righteousness. Do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? So all of the beauty and the glory that is to come in the new heaven and the new earth, being able to rule and reign and inherit all of that goodness and beauty and glory and perfection, not possible. Not possible. We are not righteous, and those who are not righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. In addition, Christians were once slaves to sin. How about, how about Romans 6, 17 that says this, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart, standing your teaching which you were committed. Meaning we were slaves to sin, uh, meaning we could possibly get rid of one, but generally speaking, we would only just trade it for another. So you can say, well, I'm, I mean, I'm not a slave to sin. I, I, I quit doing this thing. Yeah, but you probably traded it for somebody else or so, something else. You, you're probably really proud of yourself that you're not doing that sin anymore. And so now you're in the sin of pride. So we are slaves to sin. Christians were once slaves to sin. You have to see where we've been pulled out, a place of no righteousness at all, a place of no inheritance, a place of being a slave to sin. In addition, Christians were once dead in our trespasses and sins, along with being sons and daughters of Satan, Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You belonged to Satan. And, and you were cool with that. The, don't you see the darkness of the night that we have been lifted out of? And the great expanse and the height of which we have been lifted to. That's the gospel, church family. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Christian, I am sure you know that you are none of those things no longer. Amen? We know we're not those things. The point is we've been lifted out from them. That, that, that's my point. But I want you to see that the reason that we are no longer those things and we are now these things is only only because of the redeeming grace of God the Father through the work of God the Son, empowered by God the Holy Spirit. It is grace alone, grace alone, grace alone. We have nothing to boast in except in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So why would the wealthy need to remember where they came from, right? P Poverty-stricken brother, look to where you're going. Rich brother, remember where you came from is essentially what the text is saying. Why would the rich need to remember where they came from? Well, here's why, if you're following in the Bible app. Wealth promotes the illusion of self-sufficiency. Wealth promotes the illusion of self-sufficiency. The wealthy need to be reminded just how much they need the love, mercy, provision, and grace because the more you can support yourself, buy what you want, meet your own needs, the less you feel the reality of your need for God. And, and listen, I, what side of this exhortation do the vast majority of the people in this room need this morning? I'll let you decide. No, I won't. We, we need the exhortation to the rich. The, the, reason, the reason that the church is not advancing like it should be in the United States is not because we don't have enough wealth. It's because we love our wealth too much. This is why the Apostle Paul tells Timothy this in 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. 
that is arrogant or proud or boastful. Again, the more money you have, the more wealth you accumulate, the more safe and comfortable you feel that you can provide for yourself. Charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the, listen to this, uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. It's very interesting. We have these sayings um, <clears throat> in our culture. We have this saying that goes like this. Uh, you could take that to the bank, you know, Me- meaning you, you can trust that b- because it's a sure thing. You, you can take that to the bank. It's, it's safe. Or, or we say things like, oh, we don't put our money in unstable markets. We make secure investments. When the text right here just said, do not trust in the uncertainty of riches. The only secure investment is in the kingdom of God. How about the way Jesus says it in Matthew 6, 19 through 21? Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I wonder if your end-of-the-day balance or end-of-the-month balance as you scroll through your bank's website and you're looking at your statement, I wonder if that really shows what you say the treasure of your heart is. Now, as we look at the end of verse 10, it says this, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Again, this is not saying that it's wrong to have money or it's wrong to have a savings account. It, of, of course not. It, it, it's not wrong to uh, start a business and, and make money and, and income. What he's getting after is that he does not want us to be ruled by that. He doesn't want uh, us to be owned by our money. He wants us to own our money. Look at verse 11. For the sun rises and it's scorching heat and it withers the grass. Anybody else been living through August in Georgia? Help me today. For the sun rises and it's scorching heat and it withers the grass. Its flower falls. We planted some beautiful flowers in our front garden uh, in spring and now not so much. Um, they, they look like the flower falls and its beauty perishes. If you're familiar with Isaiah, this is kind of a throwback to, uh, it says the scorching heat withers the grass. It reminds us of the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. Look at the end of verse 11. It says, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. As you look at that, it reminds us of uh, maybe a sermon that Jesus had taught. Again, James looking to big brother Jesus sermon notes from Luke 12, 16 through 21. And he told the parable, this is Jesus speaking now, and he told the parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops or store my grain and my goods? And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I wonder what ministry in the church are you pouring your blood, sweat, and tears into so that you can say, I'm laying my treasures up in heaven. I wonder how seriously you're taking this this notion that 
we've set a goal to, to be in a new building in the next three years. I wonder how seriously you're taking that. I wonder if your life reflects a steady pattern of laying up treasures in heaven rather than building wealth here on this earth. Don't you see, church family, while poverty has its own set of challenges and trials, so does wealth. It is dangerous. And most every person in this room has a roof over their heads, food in their refrigerator, clothes, all in their closet, at, at least some money in the bank. And we need this encouragement from James to the wealthy because every dollar you get is a test from the Lord to see if you will use it for his kingdom or if you will worship it. I'll close with this quick application. How do I know if I'm wrapped up in a consumeristic, comfort-driven value system? How do you know? I've got four ways. There's probably many more. This is, this is a heart dissection. This is looking at what's really going on underneath the surface to discover what's happening. Have I bought into what the world promotes as the so-called American dream, or am I truly laying up treasures in heaven. So how do I know if I'm wrapped up in a consumeristic, comfort-driven value system? Number one, I'm always reluctant to open my home. Man, it's real quiet. I'll just talk about that for a minute because we end up building the place that's comfortable for us, the place that's safe for us. It's our own little shrine. I'm, I'm sorry, a home retreat. And so for people to come in and, like, mess up with their dishes and, you know, like, they're probably going to bring their kids, too. And they're, I mean, just forget it. Like, they're going to track mud on the carpets. They're going to write stuff, the crayons on the wall. And this is, this is my private little, you know, sanctuary to where I worship. Uh, not, I, we're not using that language. Um, you know, but, but that's what it becomes, doesn't it? It becomes your own private sanctuary to where you, you get to worship and be at peace and tranquility and sit in the lotus position and hum and and it's just your own thing. You've bought into this idea that your stuff is your stuff. And that's not what the Bible teaches at all whatsoever. Our home should be a center for ministry to happen, first with our children, to our spouse, and then out to the world as we invite people in to sit around our dinner tables, as we feed them, as we communicate the gospel to them, as we share our lives with them, as we share our sorrows with them, as we share our joys with them, and as we grow together in Christ. This is what the home should be. Again, how do I know if I'm wrapped up in a consumeristic, comfort-driven value system? Number two, I constantly carry consumer credit card debt. I constantly carry consumer credit. I'm not talking about medical debt. That sort of thing happens. That sort of thing happens. What I'm talking about is buying things that you don't need with money that you don't have. I, I'm talking about that idea of, well, I mean, this, this is the way that my, I mean, I have to have these clothes. It's for work. We, we can come up, we can come up with so many amazing justifications for spending money that we don't have. And, and listen, here, th this, is, this is what is so damaging about carrying massive amounts of consumer credit card debt is because it prevents you from generosity. 
It hobbles you to being generous. If, if, if you hear the call from somebody go out that they're in need, like legitimately, they legitimately got laid off because of the pandemic, and here they are struggling financially, and your heartstrings are pulled, and you, you want to help this brother or sister, but you know you've got money stacked up on this credit card, and that bill is due next week. You can't help them. You can't be generous to them now because you've hobbled yourself with credit card debt. It hobbles you from generosity. And so if you're constantly carrying consumer credit card debt, you will have likely bought into a consumeristic, comfort-driven value system. This is the fun one, number three. <clears throat> How do you know if you've been caught up in that system? I get skeptical when the church asks for money. I get skeptical when the church asks for money. Now listen, let me just go ahead and acknowledge, have churches abused money? Absolutely, absolutely they have. Uh, is, is, is that a problem in many churches? Absolutely. At Gospel Community Church, we are an open book church. Any member at any time can ask to see our books. We are an open book. You can see every dollar that we spend. You can see every dollar where every dollar goes that you give to this church. We walk, we do our best to be above reproach in all of that. And so when we start to say, hey, we, we're asking you guys to sign up for Change Roundup, or again, we're getting ready to, to, to really start to make a really big ask concerning the building campaign, it's coming up. If you go, hmm, there, there they go again, here goes, here goes the pastor, here, here the church goes again, talking about money, that's all. Don't you see, don't you see that we're, we're giving you an avenue to lay up treasures in heaven? We're giving you an avenue to be a part of the expanding gospel. We're giving you an avenue to be found on the battlefield fighting for the advance of the church. Lastly, and then I'm out of here. How do I know I'm caught up in this type of value system? I desire what others have in an ungodly way. In an ungodly way. Now, let me tell you a godly way. <clears throat> you meet with somebody, you, you see you know, their stuff, what they have. You see them being generous to their kids or maybe uh, setting up college funds for their children. They've got that stacked up to provide for their kids and, and they're able to provide for their parents and, 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 and they've got stuff set up and in order. And, and you go, man, I, I, I really want to be able to set my kids up and I, I want to be able to be radically generous to people in need. And man, that, that guy really inspires me to do that. Is that good or godly? Or is that godly or not? Right? That's godly. That, that's, a good, that's a good heart to have when you see somebody who has things and is doing that sort of thing. But this says, I desire what others have in an ungodly way, meaning you see what somebody else has, and your heart says, they don't deserve that. I mean, that, that stuff really should be coming to me. Why do they get that and I don't? That's when you begin to desire what somebody else has in an ungodly way. And so if you find your heart in that place to where you're seeing what somebody else has, and the first thing that comes to your mind or in your head you're believing, there's no way they deserve that. You might have bought into this type of system. Again, church family, the call is don't waste your life. Don't fade away in the midst of your pursuits. This text is calling us to have a single-minded focus that says all I have and everything I am, all for the glory of Christ. I'll close with this. The missionary C.T. Studd writes, Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, 
Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before him in his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Oh Lord, forgive us for our consumerism, our desire for material things over and above those good and holy spiritual things. Lord, forgive us for prioritizing our own comfort over sacrifice. Forgive us for prioritizing our freedom over obedience. Lord, make us a people who stand and say without flinching, all that I have, everything I am, all for the glory of Christ. Make these things so in the people of Gospel Community Church. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.